0: Thank you, I appreciate that good song, good testimony and song, really, this morning. Amen. Thankful that he's our everything. Turn with me, if you would, to the book of 1 Kings, chapter 17. 1 Kings, chapter 17. This morning I about led to a very familiar uh, story, and uh, I'm sure that um, probably many uh, preachers across the land will be using this story. I don't suspect at all that um, that this passage will be unique um, to you or to to the pulpit in general this uh, this Mother's Day. But trust the Lord will help us as we as we look into the life of of a mother who who's really seems, as we as we hear her story, as we think about it, it seems almost unusual that she would be included in, in the Bible. Really, um, she, in a lot of ways, she shouldn't have been included. Um, and we'll look a little bit at that. But I invite you to stand with me for the reading of God's Word. 1 Kings chapter 17, and we'll begin reading in, in verse 8. And uh, just to give you context, this is during the, the drought that Israel's faced under Elijah, King Ahab. And God has been meeting the needs of his prophet, the brook Cherith, but it's dried up. Commentators believe we're about two years into the three and a half year, three year drought, so forth. About two years in. So there's a year, year and a half left. The brooks dried up. And the word of the Lord came unto him, that's Elijah, saying, Arise, get thee to Zarephath, which belongeth to Zidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. So he arose and went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, behold, the widow woman was there gathering of sticks, and he called to her and said, Fetch me, I pray thee, a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to fetch it, he called to her and said, Bring me, I pray thee, a morsel of bread in thine hand. And she said, "'As the Lord thy God liveth, I have not a cake, but a handful of meal, "'in a barrel, and a little oil, and a cruise. "'And behold, I am gathering two sticks, that I may go in, "'and dress it for me and my son, that we may eat it and die.' "'Elijah said unto her, "'Fear not, go and do as thou hast said, but make me thereof a little cake first.' And bring it unto me, and after make for thee and thy son. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, The barrel of meal shall not waste, neither shall the cruse of oil fail, until the day that the Lord sendeth rain upon the earth. And she went and did according to the saying of Elijah. And she and he and her house did eat many days. And the barrel of meal wasted not. Neither did the crudes of oil fail, according to the word of the Lord, which he spake by Elijah. Father, I'm thankful that you see us where we are, in our times of need, in our times of, of insufficiency, and you make up for our lack. I ask that you'd help us this morning to rightly divide the word of truth, Lord, notice my insufficiency this morning, my lack, and I ask that you would make up for it, just as you did this woman. We ask these things in your precious name, Amen. You may be seated. I was teasing uh, this weekend that I was going to uh, preach holding Bryson, so that I'd have all your attention. <laughs> the other thing is, is you all hog him after church. I never get a chance, but I really enjoy holding babies. And I know that's, I guess that's kind of weird for a guy, but I just have always loved children, especially infants. And I just think that it's amazing to look down in their face and just marvel at all the possibilities. We don't know their personalities yet. We don't know uh, their future. And, and we don't know how God is going to bless them, what God's going to call them to do for work. And it's just so exciting to just look into uh, the face of a, a, an infant and, and just wonder at all the positive and glorious things that God's going to do with that life. Something exciting about that. But if I'm honest with you this, this morning, I don't take much time to think about the hardships that that child's going to face. Usually it's always a positive thing. And in our story, we have a mother who is going through one of the most difficult things that a person can go through. We don't know her story very well. In fact, I, uh, we just get just these, just these two, we get two little stories from her life. This one, and, and then if you read further, her son passes away, actually. I mean, this is a woman who, who we just get just two little Brief glimpses, but we can kind of fill in the pieces a little bit. That that probably uh, five ten years ago, she was a bride, and she had the the joys of uh, of being married to the one she loved, and and all the hopes and dreams of a future. And everything was seemed to be fitting into place, the, the home that she was always dreamed of, the husband she dreamed of, and, and pretty soon God sent a son, and, and now we've got even a little more excitement in the and, and and this just seems like life is good. And then tragedy strikes. We don't know how. But all we know is that this woman's husband passes away. I don't know if it's easier to lose someone you love suddenly in an accident or in a heart attack or something where they're taken suddenly and you, or if, it's, or if it's easier to have some time as they slowly dwindle and have that time to be able to have some closure but having to watch them suffer as it comes to the end. I, I haven't decided which is better. They both are pretty miserable. There just really doesn't seem to be a good way to lose a loved one. And I don't know how her husband was taken from her. I don't know if they got a chance to say their last goodbyes. I don't know if there had been an accident. And I wonder how many times that she ran through their last conversation together over and over in their mind. She did the best she could. She's living in a time when when uh, single women, especially mothers, are going to have a hard time. And the, there's not work for for her to do really. She's maybe she was able to glean in the fields. Maybe there was some some work she could take in, some laundry or so forth, some charity. But we also have to remember she's not from Israel. She's from Sidon, so she doesn't have the benefits of of the laws that 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 Israel had for the taking care of of widows. And I don't know what Sidon's laws were for taking care of widows, but, but the reason God put them in place is because in general, the fatherless and the widows were ignored by the rest of society. They didn't take care of them. And probably being a pagan culture... They probably figured that her husband had sinned or, or that she had sinned and done wrong. Something had happened and what befell her was their own fault. And they deserved everything they had coming to them. And sad to say, I know some Christians who feel that way about others. And that's just a terrible misunderstanding of Scripture. She's suffering and it's, it's not her fault. But she's getting by. She's making it through. She's doing the best she can with, with what she has and a little bit of work and a little bit of donations. And, 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 and they're, they're scraping by a living. They're going to be okay. Just one day at a time. And of course she worries, you know, what happens if I get sick? What happens if, if people don't give? And, and I'm sure it's, mothers do. I, I don't know a mother who doesn't worry. It just comes in the job description. Even mothers of great faith, it seems like they worry, and they just take—they're just really good at taking their their worries to the Lord in the, in the place of prayer. But but worrying is just just something that happens to every mother. Just seems like it's it's built in. And every day she worked herself to exhaustion as she tried to provide for herself and her son and wanting to do the the best she can by him, wanting to make sure he can get an education so that he can take care of himself and maybe her in her old age. She still has dreams and she still has hopes. She's imagining her son growing up to being a strong young man, marrying a beautiful girl, giving her some grandchildren, and maybe the hardships of life could be over in just, just a few short years get him raised and maybe he can take care of me. But then the famine comes and the rains don't fall and it's not her fault. It's not her sin. It's not her fault that the rain stopped. It's wicked Ahab and wicked Jezebel and, and, and a wicked Israel as they followed after false gods. And, and yes, she's in and she's following and worshiping a false god, but that's all she knows. God's not bringing judgment on her. He's bringing judgment on Israel, and and unfortunately it's spilled over and splashed onto her. People often say that it's their life, they can do what they want, but folks, when we sin, when we do wrong, it splashes over and it hurts innocent people. And she's... An innocent woman who, doesn't, who didn't know any better and doesn't know a better way of living and she's just doing the best she can and she's being punished because of other people's sins. Not hers. And do you know what happens when times get hard? Charitable giving is the first to go. When your, when your uh, uh, finances get tight, when, when you start having to tighten the belt, so to speak, and you've got to reevaluate your budget. There's less money. The economy has had a downturn. Uh, your, your stocks have crashed. Or, or your uh, health has fallen. And, and now your medical bills have gone up. And, and you're trying to make your budget work. And the first thing to go is charitable giving. I'm not saying that's wrong. That's just the fact of the matter. When, the, when our economy tanked in, what was it, 08? Nonprofits... Altogether, they just suffered tremendously. Churches and parachurch organizations and even, and even uh, nonprofits that have nothing to do with the church, all of them suffered because that's the first thing we give up when we, when we begin to have to tighten our belt is our charitable giving. Better to make sure my kids are fed. Better make sure that, that our bills are paid. But here she is, a woman who's, who needs the work. And she needs the charitable giving, and she's the first one to lose out on those blessings. And when we, when we have economic hard times, the people who suffer the most are those that have nothing in reserve. And we can say they should have planned, they should have done better, but she's doing the best she could. She didn't have anything left over to save up. There's no welfare at this time. There's nothing for her. And here she is. There's no food. There's no oil. She goes to the, to the barrel on that fateful morning and she sees she's just got a handful. It's not enough even for one breakfast, let alone two. And she knows that her and her son are about to eat their last meal together, and the very, I think the most terrible, horrible thing that a mother would ever have to face is she's going to watch her son starve to, get to death. I don't know if I can imagine anything worse. I know there's cancers and other things that are so painful to have to watch, but there's a sense when those things happen that, that there's absolutely nothing you can do. But when you watch a child starve to death... There's something, there's something that you feel like there's something you should be doing. And there's nothing she can do, and she knows it, and she's going to have to go through a fate that is the most horrible. Every dream, every hope that she has is gone this morning. And so she goes out, begins to gather a few sticks to make the final meal. They're going to have a last supper Together, what a story! What a story this morning. I think about her. She's she's got a little little bundle of sticks in her hands, and here comes Elijah. She doesn't know who Elijah is. They didn't have photographs. They didn't have the ability to, to, to recognize who, who he was. He's a, he's a stranger. He's from another country. In fact, he's been, the brook Cherith is, empties into Jordan. It's probably that, he, that literally Elijah's been on the other side of Israel for the last two years. She's probably had no dealings with him, no idea who this man is. And he strolls into town two years into a drought, and says, uh, Ma'am, can you get me a drink? Where's she getting water two years into a drought? (laughs) I think about her, and the first thing that I realize about this woman and about all of our mothers is that she was chosen by God. The, the word to the, that the King James uses as God is speaking to Elijah is that I have commanded this woman. But, but that's not really a great translation of that word. It can be translated that way. But a better word is I have appointed this woman. I have called her out. I have chosen this woman to meet your needs. And when I think about that, I say, wait a minute, Lord, why are you picking her? Of all the people, why her? She's not a Jew. She's, I mean, that should have been the first disqualification. She's not a Jew. It shouldn't, shouldn't God be taking care of His people? Shouldn't God be taking care of His Jewish widows first? And if you don't think that's important, Jesus and Luke would point it out to the Pharisees there, and it would make them mad that Jesus pointed this out. She's not qualified to be the one to meet the needs of Elijah. She doesn't have the right gender. She doesn't have the right nationality. She doesn't have any means to even support herself, let alone take care of Elijah. I mean, she's about ready to cook their last meal and die. How is she supposed to feed three mouths when she can't feed two? She can't do this. And you know, I've I've heard this story in Sunday schools and, and I've heard it preached, and I want you to know I've checked a ton of commentaries, and nobody mentions this, but Elijah moves in with a widow woman. How's that? He's a single man, and she's a single woman with a child, and they move in together, and nobody has anything to say about this? Come on, Adam Clark. In that day, poor uh, most people, even though, even those that were maybe considered middle class, most people lived in a one room hut. There was just one room. They cooked in that room. They put out their and they would eat in their room. And they would put out mats and they'd sleep in that room. They had one room. And this single man is moving in with this single woman and nobody's tongue's wagging, not even Adam Clark or John Wesley? Come on, guys. Help a preacher out. Nobody's talking about this. None of my Sunday school teachers talked about this. None of the preachers I've ever heard preach on this story has ever talked about this. This doesn't make sense. She's not qualified to do the work God's called her to do. And moms, I want you to know there are going to be times that you're going to feel poorly equipped and unqualified to do the work that God's called you to do, but I want you to know if God's called you, He'll help you to do it, whether you know how or have the ability to or whether it makes any sense to anybody else, including this preacher. I don't know what they did. I don't know if she had a little bigger house, if her husband had been a little more wealthy, and they had a little two-room hut. I don't know. Nobody's talking about it. I'm the only one, apparently, in all of history that ever wondered about this. At least anybody I could read on the subject. But moms, you're going through some things And you will go through some things. And our children don't necessarily turn out the way we want them to. And they make choices that we wish they wouldn't make. And there's so many times that that we just feel, and, and folks, let's just be honest, this is not just a mom thing, this is a dad thing too. There's just some times we don't feel qualified to the work God's called us to do. And Elijah says to her, get me a drink, and oh, by the way, make me a meal. And she says, I don't have the ability to do what you're asking me to do. And moms, I just want you to know that when you go to the place of prayer and you just God's calling you to do something, it's all right to say to God, God, I don't have the ability to do what you're calling me to do. I don't have the strength. I don't have the wisdom. I don't have the resources. I don't have. I don't have the knowledge. I don't have the money. I don't have what. I don't have whatever it is that's needed for this task. I don't have it. I don't have the patience for these hooligans. And I want you to know that God's telling you this morning. I don't call the ones that have it all together. And I don't pick the ones that have all the resources and all the knowledge. I'm not not calling you because you're qualified, I'm calling you because you're available. This woman's not qualified to meet the needs of Elijah by every measurement you can give me. She doesn't even believe in the right God. She says to Elijah, the Lord your God, not the Lord my God, you Lord your God. She doesn't even worship Jehovah. She doesn't have any qualifications to meet the needs of God's man. And yet, God says, I've appointed her, I've picked her out. All the widow women of, of, of Israel, all the widow women of, of Judah, all the, all the widow women of, all that believe in me, I haven't picked them. I've picked this one. And mom, I want you to know that God has, of all the people in the world, picked you for the task that he's given you. I'd just like to take just a moment to tell you that this isn't just for moms and dads. This is This is a responsibility for all of us. God's called us, I believe everyone, to be mothers or fathers in Israel. We live in a time when children are being raised without godly parents. Sometimes without a mom or a dad. Getting to the place that about half of our children are being raised without fathers in our communities. And we can complain about it and we can tut-tut and we can can blame uh, negligent fathers and men who aren't uh, stepping up. And we can blame selfish mothers and we can do all that. But I wonder if we aren't living in a day where God's calling us to stand up and be fathers and mothers to those that don't have them. I thank God for the mothers in Israel that saw me through. I'm here this morning because there were men and women in my church that cared enough to, about me to make me a son or a grandson, even though there was no blood. And I can assure, I am as certain as I am standing here this morning that if it wasn't for them, I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be saved. I might not even be alive for all I know. But there were people who were no relation to me who said, by God's grace, I'm going to be a spiritual mom or a spiritual dad to that young man and I'm going to see him through. And if you knew how ornery I was, you wouldn't have volunteered for the position. And I think you just probably have an idea of how ornery I was. This is saved and sanctified version. You ought to have seen me, but I was unsaved. Not bragging, I'm just trying to help us to understand that that there are people that God has gifted with love. And isn't that what holiness is, folks? It's more love. Isn't that what it is? You ask me why I walk this way when, when that's not the way that my family took. You ask me why I'm saying I'm telling you that there were that the, I'm walking the way that my family taught me to walk. And I'm not talking about my blood family. I'm talking about my spiritual family who saw me through and gave me instruction and correction and guided me. And I'm sure many of them didn't feel qualified. I'm sure many of them said, Lord, why did you give me this? Oh, this trial. Why did you pick him for me to love on? I'm sure some days that I caused many tears and people who didn't owe me anything, but God called them. God had appointed them for me. And so whether you're a mom or, or a dad or not this morning, I'd just ask you if God has called you and I believe he has called every single one of us to love somebody who's not serving the Lord, or to love somebody who doesn't have a family that cares about him, to give him wisdom and instruction for us to be that to them. I'm not qualified, preacher, neither was this woman. By any measurement you have, any measurement you can give me, she's not qualified to be the mother that takes care of Elijah. There's not a measurement you can give me that tells me she's qualified. And yet God said, I've appointed this one. I've picked her out. You know why God picked her? because he wanted to bless her just as much as he wanted to take care of Elijah. You see, by her blessing Elijah, she was was blessed herself. It wasn't the last meal and the last of the oil that she was going to get out of that barrel and out of that, that cruise because God... In his wisdom and direction said, you know what? You're not qualified. You don't have the resources to do what I'm asking you to do. But I'm going to provide the resources. And I'm going to give you an abundance so that not only are you able to help your son and yourself, but you can also help my prophet. Folks, our blessings are not for just ourselves and our families. It's for blessing others. God never blesses us for just ourselves and our families. He expects us to to give to others and bless others with all of our blessings. Yes, to meet your family's needs, but also to bless others. The prophet says to the woman, get me a drink. Two years of famine. I wonder if Zarephath had a well Two years in they're probably rationing water. Makes sense to me. I don't know else where else she's gonna get water. Except for there must be a city well and there must be rationing going on. Here comes a stranger from another country. And I'll say it just to get just to get some of you thinking he's a refugee. Who's crossed the border? I don't know whether legally or illegally. Just get us thinking a little bit. He says, Give me some water. And she goes, and I believe out of her own ration. It's the last day I'm going to live. I'm going to give, this man is obviously tired. He's had a long journey. He's traveled across the entire nation of Israel from Jordan to Sidon. He's terribly thirsty. I'll give him a portion of my water. Doesn't say anything about it. Doesn't talk to him about the rationing. She just begins to make her way. And as she, as she is going, he says, by the way, could I have a piece of bread? I'm hungry too. I don't know exactly what happened, but I think tears started trickling down her cheeks. She turns around to the prophet. and She says, don't you, sir, he says, I would feed you, but I got enough for one cake. I got enough for one cake. One piece of, uh, one, just one little thing of bread, just enough for one meal. And I'm planning to bake it and use it. To feed my son and myself for our last meal, sir. I, we're gonna die, and I don't know that I can give this to you. Not only did God see that she was called, we saw that she was kind. She was kind. She's a pagan. She's not raised with the Ten Commandments. She's been through the hardest life that you can probably imagine. She's about to face the, a mother's worst nightmare. And in the midst of her final, what she thinks is her final days on earth and in a, a tragic end, And every dream has finally been broken and her life has become a living nightmare. She's still kind. She's still kind. You know, there's the old adage that more is caught than taught. And she lived the way she wanted her son to grow up. She behaved in such a way that even in her last, even when she didn't expect for her son to ever grow up, for, for her to see if very many more days, she behaved and conducted herself in such a way that she brought honor to herself and to her family. Moms, I would just encourage us, don't just say it, live it. Don't just say it, live it. She lived out exactly what she wanted for her children to, to live out for themselves. I, I have seen parents who've demanded and, and, and through a fit that the child say please and thank you and then the parents don't say please and thank you. You really expect your child to live it if you don't? I've seen parents get all huffy about their child saying they're sorry, but I've seen the parent make a mistake and not able to say they're sorry to their child that they've wronged. Don't tell me that you're not happy about the way they've lived and how they've turned out when you didn't live it before them. If a heathen woman can live a good life, before her children, how much more should the sons and daughters of God do as I say and not as I do has never raised a good adult just doesn't work that way it just doesn't work out that way kids don't care what you say Our teachers can testify to that. They don't care what we tell them. If it did, our lectures would work. But they don't work. It's how we live before them our prayer life, our faith. And I've seen it, I mean, you can just see it down through generations. That person, grandma's got a sharp tongue, daughter's got a sharp tongue, granddaughter's got a sharp tongue. I mean, it's almost like it's in the genetics. But it isn't. It isn't. I understand that so many years ago that the Prime Minister of, of France was faced with surgery and they had brought the surgeon in to have a consultation with the prime minister and of course the surgeon had to come to the prime minister not the other way around and the prime minister said to the surgeon he said sir he said i expect you to not treat me like the riffraff there that, that how you treat them in your hospital i'm the prime minister And the surgeon looked at him and he says, Your Eminence, he says, in my eyes, all the riffraff, as you call them in the hospital, are prime ministers. That doesn't happen by accident. Oftentimes, the higher a person gets, the more prestige, the more money they make, the higher uh, of, of education, the higher uh, skill, the higher positions. It becomes easy to look down on people. I have to believe that surgeon had a mother who treated everyone with respect. I was just talking with somebody just recently who confessed that they had been somewhere. They were visiting a mansion actually and were doing a tour. And he said, I wasn't feeling well that day. And there was a guy that was kind of, kind of looked like the janitor, and he was saying some things. And he said, he said, I'm ashamed to admit it, but I didn't treat him very well. I just wasn't feeling that good, and I didn't want to be bothered. He said, and then I found out that he was the owner of the mansion. He says, I was embarrassed. I'm not trying to cast blame on that person. I'm not saying that we all don't have moments of weakness in our illnesses and, and so forth, but, but what I'm trying to help us to understand is if we want our children to treat all people with kindness, we're going to have to first be examples of that. If we want our children to grow up to be holy, we're going to have to walk in holiness ourselves. We can't just put on a show when we're out and about, when we're in the community or in the church. What we live at home is how our children are going to live out their lives. But this woman, this mother, in a pagan society with a false god, she's living as kind as she can in the midst of no resources. If she has an excuse to be unkind, it's her. She's under a lot of stress. She's under a lot of stress. More stress than probably any of us have ever faced. I hope that's true. I hope that no one's ever faced the same level of stress as this woman has. She's under tremendous stress. And yet in the midst of it all, She's kind. Moms, I've got some bad news for you. Your children won't remember your hard work. They won't remember the times that you did laundry late into the night. 2 a.m. throwing in the bed sheets that have been soiled due to illness or accident. Your kids won't remember that. They won't remember the You going to work and coming home and and, uh, trying to put a meal on the table when you're so exhausted you can hardly see straight. They're probably not going to remember it. But I will tell you that they will remember whether you were kind or unkind to them. They'll remember the sharp words or the kind words. Your words of support or your words of harshness. You think about your mother as, you don't remember all the things she does. Maybe as a, a little bit as an adult, as, as you've lived it out, maybe you can kind of see it a little better now, but you didn't see it all and you can't understand it all. But you remember whether your mother was kind or not. It's easy to recall that. I just call as, as moms and dads, be kind. Be kind. I know there's a lot of pressure to have perfect children. I know there's a lot of pressure to see our kids do well in school. I know there's a lot of pressure to see our kids to be successful. But if our kids are successful and unkind, it's, it's worth nothing. But if we have kind kids, it's more important than that, that they're kind than, than Victorians. It's more important that they're kind than they they are lawyers and doctors and, and, and wealthy. It's more important that they are kind than successful as the world counts success. If we can get kindness into our children, folks, we've gotten a lot of the battle won. And all these things that seem much more important now won't matter later. There's a funny little saying, it goes like this. Be kind to your children, for they will pick your nursing home. (laughs) You know what? It may not be the nursing home. It may be whether they come to visit or not. It might be whether they call you today or not. And those things are going to be a lot more important than whether they, they're flying around the world in a private jet or whether they graduated from college or not, or whatever other measurement of success we'd ask for our children, why, oh, that they would be kind. <clears throat> I know I need to hurry. I see that it's getting late, and I know you mothers need to have your special day. But I want you to know that not only was she called and was she kind, but she was convinced. This stranger says, make me a piece of bread first. Make me your cake first. Feed it to me and then make There will be plenty for your, you and your son. Just take care of me first. And you know, I've heard preachers kind of make fun of Elijah. Yeah, it's like a preacher's. Take care of me first. You know what? had nothing to do about the selfishness of Elijah. It had to do about the faith of this woman. She is in crunch time now. Whether is she's going to believe the word of the Lord as it comes to the prophet Elijah, or whether she's going to do her own thing. This is crunch time. Life and death. She makes the wrong choice. She dies. Her son dies. This is crunch time. This is when faith counts the most. This is... She doesn't get to start off with an easy one. She's started off, she's put to the test with the hardest test a person can be ever asked in the place of faith. Is you pick and you pick wrong. And you and your son die. If Elijah isn't the man of God, if he isn't speaking the word of the Lord, she's just given away her last meal. But if he is, they survive. And she, and I don't know how she does it. She has no reason to believe Elijah. She knows that, he, he, that he's from the God of, of Israel. She recognizes that. I don't know if there's been a conversation that isn't recorded. I don't know if he tells her that he's the one that is responsible for that not reigning. I'm not sure what it was that convinced her, but I have to believe that the Holy Spirit uh, did something in her heart and she knew that she knew that this has to be the man of God. And she goes... And she bravely takes a risk and walks in faith. The reason she had to provide for Elijah first is because if she provided for herself and there was leftover for the prophet, that's not faith. And mom's you're going to have to be convinced that God and His Word is, the, is truth, and you're going to have to live it out, not just because uh, it's convenient or when it, when it just seems to work, but when it doesn't work and when it's costly. We live in a time of skepticism. I've had it times where people, I've been preaching, and people have gotten on their phones to look up to whether what I said was right or not and meet me at the back with their phone. I don't have a problem with you fact checking me, but can you do that, you know, outside of service and come back to me later? It'll wait. If it's that important, you'll remember after the service what it was. But we live in a time of skepticism. In a time of the internet, there's so much information, we call it the information age, but it's also the misinformation age. And we've got competing voices. And people who know what they're talking about and people who think they know what they're talking about. And the scary thing about the Internet is everyone gets an equal say. There was a time that you had to be qualified to get on the news. There were were only just a few radio stations. There were only just a handful of television stations. If you were going to speak, you had to be knowledgeable. And now... And now there's whole news articles that are nothing but Twitter uh, uh, things. This is what people are thinking and all these Twitter things. I'm like, how is this news? These guys, did you even check to see if these people know what they're talking about? How is this a news article? But this is the day we live in. It's a day of skepticism. And nobody wants to believe anything except for what they already believe. And if she had done that, she would have died. She believed in her false gods. But you know what? Her false gods had failed her. She was going to starve to death. She was going to die. The gods of Sidon were failing her. And she took a risk. And the God who cannot fail. And moms, that is faith. When you believe when everything tells you not to. When you say, I'm going to put aside my skepticism and put aside my doubts. And I'm going to hold true, uh, hold to that which is true. I'm going to believe. I'm going to believe. And I encourage this moms. If there's ever been a time when we've needed faith, it's now. If there's ever been a time when we need mothers that knew how to pray and bombard heaven and believe God for miracles, it's now. And if there's ever been anyone who's ever had faith in human history, it's been our moms. Moms have have won more battles on their knees than all the generals of history have won on the battlefields. And how many mothers uh, got into the, in the place of prayer and won victories for our souls and won victories for our health and, and won victories for our well-being and put food on the table and clothes on our backs, not because of the hard work but because of hard faith. The history books are full of mothers who prayed and saw a Change. And how many could testify this morning that I'm here today because I had a mother who wouldn't let me go in the place of prayer. And how many of us others could stand up and testify I had a mother in Israel, it wasn't my biological mother, but I had a mother in Israel who wouldn't let me go in the place of prayer. I don't doubt that that very likely that 100% of the people here are here because of a mother's prayer. Whether it's a biological mother or a mother in Israel, there is a woman that got a hold of God for your soul. I would dare say it's 100% whether we realized it or not. And we won't know probably until we cross the line of worlds how much battles were won in our favor because we had the woman who loved God and loved us and wouldn't let God go because they had faith. Thank God for our mothers. Thank God for our mothers who wouldn't give up in the place of prayer when it looked like we were hopeless. Thank God for grandmothers and women in our churches who wouldn't let us go. And moms, I want you to know we're counting on you. We can talk about some of these mothers that have gone on before, but folks, moms, I want you to know it's you who are standing in their stead now. It's you the mantle has fallen on. It's you that have that responsibility. I pray, I pray that in this day of of godlessness and immorality, that he would raise up mothers and godly women in our churches who would stand in the place of prayer and maybe kneel in the place of prayer and get a hold of the horns of the altar and say God I'm not going to let you go until you get a hold of that son get a hold of that daughter that grandchild that, that young person in church that, that is making wrong choices I'm not going to let you go i have going to pray and I want you to know that the meal won't waste and the oil won't run out Because God's word is firm on this matter. I didn't even tell you the story. The next story, her son dies. (laughs) And God gives her back her son. You talk about a woman of faith. Talk about a woman of faith. There's a story. and And I'll close with this. I know I'm over time. Happened during the Korean War. One of the Korean women, on Christmas Eve, was in labor, stumbling through the streets, begging for help, and nobody would help her. They say that she bumped into a couple. She pled for help, and they they laughed at her. They said, "Where's your American man now?" It's cold and bitter. She made her way. She, th- she suddenly remembered that there was a missionary. There was a missionary man who, who, who hadn't laughed in the midst of the conflict, and she determined to make her way to him. And, and as she got closer, she realized that, that it was too late. The baby was coming. she'd never make it. And so she made her way under a, a bridge and by herself. And in the cold, she gave birth to a son. But she lost a lot of blood and she was too weak. And she couldn't go on. She took off her clothes and wrapped her baby in that, in her clothes. The next morning, the missionary was going out and he was going to give out gifts to people in the community for Christmas. And as he happened by the bridge, he heard a baby cry. And there he found the mother frozen to death, but the baby warm in her clothes. Picked up the son and he took him home and adopted him, made him his own, and raised him as his own son. And about Christmas time, I think it was maybe even Christmas Eve, his 10th birthday, the missionary told his adopted son the story of his mother, a great sacrifice that she'd made for him. Sometime in the evening, he he heard a noise, and in the darkness, and the night, the boy had slipped out the door, and the missionary... Began to follow from a distance, and the boy made his way to that same bridge that he had been born under. And the missionary found the boy had stripped off all of his clothes, and he was saying, Mother, were you this cold for me? I don't know if you had a good mother or not. I don't know whether this day brings good memories. Or if it's a hard day for you, because perhaps your mother didn't live up to all that she should have been. But I want us to know this morning that God himself will be a mother to us. And he was willing to sacrifice himself to meet our needs. And if you do have a mother that loved you and cared for you, Thank God for her, and if you can, thank her this morning. God has blessed us each one, and may we never forget the faith of our mothers. Amen. Let's stand together. I'm going to ask my wife as she dismisses in prayer.